You know, I, I am just so blessed that whenever I am gone, like I was last week, church is in good hands. Um, again, Pastor Daniel did Sunday morning as we're driving out to New Mexico to a 10th hour project. Once it was online, we just clicked the app and got to listen to and watch Pastor Daniel. I shouldn't have been watching, but I was watching <laughs> as I was driving. And, um, you know, just great study. And then on Thursday night, Thomas, um, he, he stood in for, for me on Thursday nights. We're usually going the OT on Thursday nights, but whenever I'm not teaching, they've been going through First John. And Thomas did an amazing job on Tom, on, on uh, yeah, you can watch him on our social media, but he, it's like, he's, he's a punk kid. <laughs> he, he's like all of 20 some years old. How old is he, Terry? 21, 22? That's his mom. She doesn't know. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, anyways, be that as it may, you guys can always go on to YouTube or our, our website and, and check it all out, but I'm just so grateful. Chapter 26 of the book of Acts this morning is where we find ourselves. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, as, as we were in chapter 25, and again, I've been doing chapters at a time Sunday morning, which is a rarity, but as you're finishing up the book of Acts, that's the way the narrative kind of goes. That's the way it's just kind of flowing. And so <clears throat> in chapter 25, the Apostle Paul was facing his accusers after two years of being in custody in Caesarea. Festus, the new governor, as we met up with, um, in the region had visited after visiting Jerusalem and hearing from the council, the Sanhedrin over there wanted... They wanted Paul to be brought back to stand trial in Jerusalem. And, and I love the fact that, again, Festus is not serving the Lord. He's not seeking the Lord. But the Lord is using Festus to get his purpose accomplished. And, and, and that's what God does. He even works in the lives of people, authorities that are not seeking God to do his will. Again, understand that even in this day and age that we're going through, God is at work, guys. Understand that. But Festus would not allow them to, to, you know, to, be, to bring Paul. Instead, he insisted that they all come back down to Caesarea. And so the council really didn't want Paul to stand trial. They had a plan to kill him on the way. They, they could care less. But the fact of the matter is now <clears throat> that they're... Their plans are foiled, thwarted, stymied, if you will. Um, they travel, and so Paul lives to stand trial. And it was basically a waste of time for these guys because Festus did not, he was not persuaded on their side. And so Paul, as we learned a couple weeks ago, appeals to Caesar, the highest court of the land. And so that is where he will stand trial. As a Roman citizen, he had every right to appeal to Caesar. And so Festus had no choice once he did that. And the council lost. They had no more jurisdiction over Paul in the matter. And so Festus found himself in a different quandary, in a dilemma, because he had nothing. He had nothing to, to write down, here's his crimes, and yet, he knows that he has to send him because he's appealed to go. He should have let him go. He should have dropped the case. But he wasn't man enough to do that. And so, as we learned, as we're, we're finishing chapter 25, 
there was, there was a new, some new characters that comes into the scene, King Agrippa and his wife Bernice. And I'm sure the Festus thought, these guys will help me out. And so Paul gets an opportunity now, as we will see this morning. Chapter 26, we're going to do the whole chapter, but let's read to verse 11 first, and then we'll move on later. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand, and I am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise are twelve tribes earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For, the, for this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead. Indeed, I myself thought that I must, uh, thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints. I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they put to death, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you, God, that we are able to gather together this morning to be able to worship, to honor you, to lift up your name, Lord. And I pray that I would do this portion of Scripture justice, Lord, help me as I convey this message to my brothers and sisters, Lord. Give them ears to hear, Lord. Help them to understand what you are speaking, Lord. And so we give you this time when we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go back to verse 1, as this chapter begins here, again, the courtroom setting that we see here. I, I, I've kind of been preparing you guys how this has been looking lately. You have all this pomp and circumstance going on. And yet it, it, it's all playing out. From the sounding of the trumpets as all these dignitaries and all these people are walking in to this courtroom, to the setting, and they're all taking their places. Here you have this poor pathetic prisoner being brought in, the Apostle Paul. And he takes center stage. Again, you could imagine the the sound of the trumpets, because again, there's the king who has come to visit. 
King Agrippa with Bernice. And you can hear the, the final blowing of the trumpet, if you will, if you can picture it in your minds, right? And you hear Festus in verse 24 of the last chapter. As, as that sound is going down, saying, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man who, about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. That's the way the proceedings start. And Paul has brought in this man. As I was talking to you about, about a couple of weeks ago, he looked like this poor, pathetic prisoner in the midst of all this pomp. All these people in the regalia coming in. And you can imagine it's all sounding amazing as they're walking in. And Paul is brought out in his chains. A couple of weeks ago, we kind of caught a glimpse of the long history of the Herods. That King Agrippa here, Agrippa II, came from. You see... We need to understand that this is no small matter here. It was King Agrippa's great uncle who gave the thumbs down basically and wanted uh, John the Baptist's head on a platter. No, no, no trial. His, his, his daughter, his stepdaughter wants this guy dead. It's like, go kill his head. Go kill him. Bring his head over to me on a platter. King Agrippa could have easily not said a word, just given him a thumbs down when all is said and done. And Festus introduces this poor, pathetic prisoner. And Agrippa didn't have to say anything. If he would have given a thumbs down, the guy would have, it's like, bring his head on a platter with, to me also. It would have been done. Nobody would have questioned it. But instead, instead of saying anything, he gives Paul basically a thumbs up. Speak for yourself. Let us hear you out. You have the floor. What an opportunity. Paul, I'm sure, I'm sure, because you would be thinking, tomorrow I'm going to be standing before the king. I don't know how you would feel if you would like kind of stay up thinking, okay, what's going to happen? Is there a thumbs up, thumbs down kind of a side thing? Like, give me a chance here. I don't know. But I could almost guarantee you that Paul slept like a baby that night. And I say that because he probably had this confidence in him, not an arrogance, but a confidence that the Holy Spirit is still working in his life. I'm sure he has this confidence that he remembers Jesus speaking to him in, in Jerusalem, in the prison cell that he was at over there. Paul, you've testified for me here in Jerusalem. I will get you to Rome. So he's fine with it. So he has this opportunity to speak for himself. It doesn't tell us if his accusers are still there or not. I kind of get the sense that they may be. Only because, again, as, as we kind of go through, he kind of talks about if they t 
testify of what I've done. They know who I am. So I don't know if he's pointing at them saying, they know who I've been since my youth. But it doesn't really tell us if they're not. Again, I kind of think that they are because they're only there to me for one last ditch effort. Let's see Paul get nailed. <laughs> and so that's where my mind went as I was studying. That these guys just didn't give up that easy, even though they have no more jurisdiction over this guy. Paul knew, though, as he walked in, with all this pomp around him, and he comes in, chained, that there was a confidence that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit once again. I don't, I don't believe Paul had confidence in himself. He didn't have confidence in man, in the court system. He didn't even have confidence in, in the hand of the king, that his, that his life was in, in his hands, this king that was facing. I believe that he had total confidence in the king of kings who overrules all of it. I think there was this confidence, not an arrogance, but a confidence that God had not left him or forsaken him. As I was sharing with you last week, from chapter 24 to chapter 25, two years have gone by that he's been in custody and nothing is heard. But he truly, he, he was truly understanding that God was still with him through that time. When again, nothing seems to be going right. Why am I still here, God? I truly believe that he still had confidence in the king of kings in whom he served diligently. And this is that same kind of confidence that we are to put our trust in. When it seems nothing is making sense and, 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 and our time is being prolonged and, and nothing seems to be moving and now I have to go face these authorities, these people who could kill me and yet, I truly believe that his trust was in the one who made it all. The king of kings. His defender. He says, in verse 2, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. It's interesting how he starts off his statement. I think myself happy. But the word happy here, it means supremely blessed. By extension, fortunate, well-off, blessed, happy, if you will. In other words, he is saying that he felt fortunate that he is able to speak and give a defense for why he stands before this king. I, I don't think that he's trying to butter up King Agrippa here. I truly believe that Paul is genuine in his opening statement when he begins to share a little bit more of his life because he knew that Agrippa would truly understand this whole Jewish system. Paul knew that he would be sharing his life, his testimony. He would be a witness of what God has done in his life. And no one could take that away from him. Just like with us. 
We all have a testimony, and nobody can take that away from us. Oh, they might say, that sounds a little outlandish. Bro, you didn't, you, you didn't walk in my shoes. <laughs> so some testimonies do sound outlandish, but nobody can take away the testimony, the things that have happened in your life that you are able now to give glory to God with. Whether good, bad, or, 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 or ugly things happen in your life, you, God can always use these things for His glory as we will see once again in chapter 26, Paul is able to share his life. And he gives Agrippa some background. Maybe some of the things that he wasn't familiar with. I'm sure King Agrippa heard from Festus some of the things that Festus has, has captured in, in talking to, to, to Paul. But he will present his case, his testimony. And so he asked the king to hear him out patiently. And in verse 4, he says, my manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the, from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me, he says in verse 5. And that's why to me, when he says that, it's almost like he's looking at the council. They knew me. They know who I am. What Agrippa may not have known about Paul was that he was a part of the, this religious system all of his life. It, it wasn't something that Paul, that, that, that he was this Christian, even though at this point Paul has been walking with Jesus for about 25 years. And it's interesting because the longer you walk with Jesus, some people that you meet, they can't even picture you not a Christian anymore. And so maybe, perhaps, he's heard about Paul, but he can't picture that in, in what he's already learned about Paul. But he says, from my youth, I have been a part of all of this. And so Paul is going to give him further background if you will, than he did the last time we heard his testimony in chapter 22, when he was before the, the, the commander over in Jerusalem. But understand that Paul is not bragging about his past. He's already counted all of that as dung, as it says in Philippians, right? It, it's, it's past, but God can still use it. He's going to give him more detail, further information, so that King Agrippa can have a better understanding. He will be sharing his testimony, but he's not sharing a, a, a bragamony, <laughs> as some people, you know, they, they brag about their past as if like, oh, if only I was there again. It's like, that's not what we should do when we share our testimony. We need to talk about the past, but let's talk about what God is doing. To give this king a complete picture of who he is. Again, he says in verse 5, They knew me from the first. If they are willing to testify. If they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Again, if some of the council 
were there. And if Paul wanted, he could have called them, if they were there, to testify. Tell them what you do know about me. When I was a part of your, your group. Again, we've learned from the last time that, that he shared his testimony that he was a son of a Pharisee. And Paul, he was on the fast track, if you will, when we, when we see from Galatians and even Philippians, when he shares who he used to be and what he was, what he was doing, he was on the fast track of becoming probably one of the most prominent, famous, highfalutin Pharisees, if you will. That's who Paul was. I'm sure he was well-liked by all the older rabbis and Pharisees that were there. He was probably envied by his contemporaries, by his peers. I'm sure he was the rabbi's pet in every class. Because this guy, he was on top of it. He loved what he was doing. That if he went along with the flow, he would have been probably sitting at a council like these guys are. He excelled above them all. He was the man. He was the guy that people would brag about. Oh, and I had Paul in my class. Yes, that Paul. <laughs> but he says this, that, that, that again, among all these guys, I lived a Pharisee in verse 6, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The Jews had a hope of the resurrection. Now, it doesn't seem like they do, but they had a hope for the resurrection, especially the Pharisees. The Sadducees, they, they, they were kind of more on the fringes and they didn't believe in, in the resurrection and the spiritual. But the Pharisees, again, we remember when Paul set these guys at odds with one another. But most of the religious leaders, they believed in it. They believed that there would be a resurrection because God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And Jesus says that in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, But he was referring to Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 6, where, Moses, where God is speaking to Moses in Exodus 3, 6. And he says, I am the Lord, or I am the God of your fathers the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And that phrase that he is the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus says, they are still alive. So Exodus proved that he is the God of the living, not the dead. And so they all believed in this promise, this hope of the promise was actually, it actually points to the, com the coming Messiah. They all had this hope. They all understood that this hope was forward thinking. That there was a promise that, that Messiah would come. And when he came, he would live forever. And, and this is what struck them when he came the first time that he ends up dying. It's like, how could he be the Messiah? He died. They rejected the fact that he had resurrected. They rejected it. They didn't want him to be resurrected. 
And Paul, he was in that, in that same mindset as a young man living through that time <clears throat> that as a young kid, he probably saw Jesus get crucified and all of that stuff that happened. He had been around for a little bit. As a young boy, he was in Jerusalem. He saw Jesus die, I'm sure, or heard about it in his class <laughs> or amongst his peers. <clears throat> But they all believed in the resurrection for the Messiah. <clears throat> that Messiah would come <clears throat> and he would live forever. That there would be a resurrection because he would be the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the same time. And so Messiah would come and fulfill that role. That would be the, the reason for his coming. Paul now understood the fulfillment of this promise. They all kind of knew about it, <clears throat> that Jesus was being preached, that he, that he lives still, because that's been going on for the last 20-some years, almost 30 years, in the church. Paul finally understood that. And because of Jesus' resurrection, it provided them this hope. Paul understood this hope of the promise. That hope being the Messiah. And yet the Jews continued to refuse that belief. And that's where the tension lied. They were probably okay if this Jesus comes on the scene and pretends that he resurrected. But these guys are willing to go to the death. Philip, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Not Philip, but, but James has already died. They've already put him to death. One of the, one of the Herods had already put him to death. So, so again, they hated the fact that these guys were so adamant about the resurrection. And so Paul states his case that for the resurrection's sake, being Jesus, this is why I'm being accused. This is why I stand before you right now. Like I shared with you, the, the, the Herods, they came, came from the, law, the line of Esau. So they had Jewish blood in them. And so again, he's bringing up this case before them, kind of saying, you know what I'm talking about. Agrippa and Bernice both believed in the hope of the resurrection. And that's why Paul would say in verse 8, why, according to the Amplified here, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? That's why he points that question at them. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, Indeed, I myself thought I, I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Bingo. That, that, was, that was the pivot point right there. Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one that was causing all this trouble because Jesus is such a troublemaker. He's always been a troublemaker. He's always been a controversial figure, even back then. 
to this day, Jesus continues to be the controversial figure. And so again, he, he tells them, I was in the same place as all you guys were. Paul had been coming against them. But now that they're coming against Paul, he understood it's not about them coming against me. They're coming against the one I serve. They come against Jesus. Guys, as Christians, it's not you that they hate. Well, maybe because your attitude sometimes. But, <laughs> but they hate you because they hated Jesus. That's, that's this whole controversy. It's, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. He is that controversial figure still to this day. Paul understood that. He says, I was with you guys. But it was that transformation that happened in my life. And now <clears throat> I stand before you. I stand before you now. <clears throat> and now they're coming against me because of who I serve. Paul reminds all of them, <clears throat> including the king, that he was against Jesus of Nazareth at, at one time. I did everything possible, he's saying to them. I'm sure none of these guys who were at that council, none of them could hold a candle to what Paul had done when he was persecuting the church. Again, he was a high achiever. What he had done to the church and to individual Christians, they all knew about. They knew it, and Paul could never forget it. He knew what he had done. He understood that he stood by grace, and it wasn't because of who he was that he was now saved. Just like us, we can't forget what we used to do, where we used to be. But, but God uses those things just like he does with Paul today in this, in this text to bring glory to himself. That if you were like Paul in such a way, and maybe you could go back in your little Rolodex. Young people don't know what a Rolodex is today, <laughs> but you people do. You could go back in time, I guess in your files, I should say, in your files, in your hard drive, yeah. You can go back. And, 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 and go back and remember some of the things that you did against the people that were trying to witness to you. And Paul could never forget that, just like we could never. It's interesting because he goes through this litany of things that he did. And in verse 11, he says, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Paul not only said that he was a blasphemer himself, but he also compelled them, Jesus' followers, to blaspheme, to recant. As I was reading this and studying this, it's like breaking my heart. Because a lot of his followers I'm sure that we love Jesus. It's like, yes, but when faced with death, what do you do? What do you do? It, it, it's so funny because we would think maybe six months ago, it's like, yeah, let's stand. Now we're going, mm, 
know, man. Maybe we should obey what they're telling us to do. But what if? What if they get to a point that they just continue to turn the screws and they say, renounce them? Just a, You don't have to mean it. Just renounce them. Just like the church of Smyrna, right? When they had to give a pinch to the, to the emperor. You don't even have to mean it, but say, Caesar is Lord. You don't even have to just put the incense in there. And you can go free. And some Christians back then would say, not on your life. Take my life. You don't even have to mean it. We don't want to kill you. Kill me. I don't care. Are we willing to get to that point? And it's so funny because six months ago it was like, yes. Now it's like, I don't know, man. (laughs) That's getting hot and heavy, Pastor Zeke. That's what they were being, Paul was making people recant. You don't think he lived with that all his life? Those people who are, who are turning the screws a little bit on, our, on, our, on the churches and that people are going, Pastor Zeke, it's not just against the churches and they're doing it to other businesses. It's like, guys, understand this. They want to destroy Jesus Christ still. It's still. And if they could just twist it just a little bit, next time around they're going to twist it a little harder. And, 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 and a month from now, two months from now, a year from now, they're going to twist it just a little harder. And where are we going to stand? I love the fact that Paul, he, he, back in verse 6, he says, and now I stand. And I think it means a little different too. Not, not just do I stand right here, but I stand. And nothing is going to move me. Nothing will move me. Nothing can move me. And again, I know we can talk a big game right now. But what happens when all of a sudden the, the screws are being turned a little harder? Are we willing? Paul was not just a blasphemer. He wanted other people to blaspheme. That's how insolent, disrespectful, rude, and just downright mean Paul was. That's who he was. This is the way it says in the Amplified Bible. I frequently punished them in all the synagogues to make them blaspheme. And in my bitter fury against them, I harassed, troubled, molested, persecuted, and and pursued them even to foreign cities. Again, he was a high achiever. Verse 12 to verse 23. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission from the high priest at noonday, noonday, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you For this purpose and to make you a minister and a witness both 
of the things which you have seen and the things which you have, which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom now I send you to open their eyes, to, to order, in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons... The Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and, and great, saying no other thing than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be first of the, uh, to raise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Gentile or to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. When he says back in verse 12, while thus occupied, it literally means as I was engaged in my pursuit by these guys, the council to get other Christians in Damascus while I was commissioned by them. Again, it almost seems like we have the picture that they are sitting there, and if any of those guys are still sitting there, they're probably sinking in their seats right now going, oh my goodness, this guy's calling, out, calling us out. Paul now recounts the events of that day that day that he got saved. Can you recount the day you got saved? It's not a bad thing to remember when you saw the light, you know? As Paul literally saw the light. Many of the things that we hear in his testimony here are exactly the same as we've heard in other places. But some of the things are different. It's not that he's making things up. He is just... He is just bringing different aspects of his testimony because of who he's standing in front of. And I think I shared that with you when we were looking at it back in chapter 22 when he's sharing his testimony again. There's certain things that you share with certain people. You don't have to share all of it at the same time. Certain aspects. And that's what we see once again here. And I find it interesting that Paul says here that Jesus spoke to him in the Hebrew language. And I know some would say, well, of course, that's the language he spoke. But we don't. But why would, he, why would he think that's important? Well, again, this is what I get from it as I read that Jesus will speak to you in your own language. He will come down to your level and speak to you in words that you will understand. 
He is not going to, to, to call you to reach a certain level and then save you. He will come down to your level and speak to you right here in language that you can understand. He's not going to talk above your head. And I think it's, it's interesting that, again, Jesus was willing to speak to Paul. Paul was an intellectual, and yet he humbled him by knocking him to the ground, however that looked, and spoke to him from there and then tells him, stand up. Stand up. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus took what Paul was doing to the Christians personal. And he let them know it is futile for you to continue to do this, to kick against the goads here. It's futile for you to come against me and think that you're going to win. Paul, that day, as much as he thought he was winning this whole thing, he was on the losing end. And he came to that conclusion. Here's a guy who is so powerful, he's so intellectual, he's so... Again, one of those guys is just soaring into prominence. And God has a way of knocking them down. God is able to do that. Throughout history, he's done that. And he continues to do that. Because God is able to speak to people that you think, that I think, are unreachable. Because they're so set in their ways. They lean and are bent a certain way, and it's like they will never change. I'm sure there are some people thought about that about you, that you could never change. And look at where you're at this morning. I love the fact that Jesus has not changed. He took a personal back then. He's taken a personal throughout church history, and he takes a personal today. And that's why we need to be praying for those in authority. God is able to humble them. My prayer is that they humble themselves before God has to humble them. That's my prayer. As we pray for all the stuff that's going on, not just in the United States, but around the world, God is concerned about His church. His church still wins at the end, but He's still concerned today about His church, and He takes it personal. I truly believe that verse 18 is one of those promises that was not just for the Apostle Paul or for the Apostles back then, but it is for every believer today to be able to share. To share the gospel. Because it gives us an understanding <clears throat> of what God wants to do in the lives of every person. I understand not every person is going to come to Christ. But he would like that. He wishes that none should perish. But he says, to open the eyes in order that they turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by, my, by faith in me, who are set apart, is that word sanctified. We are to do that today. Share the gospel. Share the love of Christ. Let God do that in people's lives.
He continues in verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I have not disobeyed the heavenly vision. With everything that is going on in that courtroom setting, I love the fact that Paul's focus is on Agrippa. And it was he that wanted to hear Paul. And it was he that had the power to do something about it. Thumbs up or thumbs down. But he gives them a, like, hey, speak for yourself here. But could it be? Is, is it possible that maybe, just maybe, it is he that God wanted to save that day? That that day was the day of his salvation. That King Agrippa had the opportunity to now at this very moment say, I need what you're talking about. I want to go from darkness to light. He tells him, King Agrippa, I could not be disobedient here. What else, what else could I do except obey at this very moment? What a great testimony that Paul is, is sharing. What a witness in front of this king. As he lays it all out before him. Of what had happened to him that day. What else was he supposed to do that day? Ignore it? Pretend that it didn't happen? Go about his life as if he didn't see the light? Because there's so many people that, that have this opportunity and they just ignore it. And you're going, how do you ignore that? At that very moment. But people do. How many times did you ignore the call? Until you finally surrendered. That's why we cannot give up and say, somebody is just too far from being saved. If they have breath in their life, if they still have breath, to the very end, God will minister. I truly believe that. And that is why we should be able always to be that light. You were once in darkness. You came to the light. If God can do that in your life, why can't he do it in the other guy's life? Of course he can. And what Paul had set out to destroy, he is now defending. He had set out to have Christians recant the name of Jesus. And now he is out in the name of Jesus calling non-Christians to repent. What a difference a day makes, right, in somebody's life. Some 25, 25 years later, after Paul's conversion, he is still defending the faith. He is still calling men to repent. That message never changes, people. Never changes. This was the same message that he started with, and it will be the same message till his very last breath. That's the message that we get to preach, that we get to share. It will never change from this pulpit. It will always stay the same. And that's why Paul stands in trial. That's why they wanted to kill him. He says, I obtain help from the Lord in verse 22. And that's why I stand as a witness, both to the small and the great. Man, if Paul wouldn't have 
repented on that day, he probably would have been this powerful, influential, religious leader, rubbing shoulders with, with the high and mighty, the officials, the governors, the kings. But instead, he stands before them as the prisoner of Jesus Christ. This poor, pathetic prisoner. There's no pomp. There's no circumstance in his life. And yet he obtained help from the Lord and he is a witness both to small and great just as the Lord told them from the very beginning. This is what's going to happen to you. He got to minister, I'm sure, to the guy that blew the trumpet and also to the guy that sat on the throne because everybody heard him. And he shares with them from the Old Testament the prophets and, and Moses, that Jesus Christ had to suffer and die. That this is our hope. This is the hope of our promise, the one I preach to you. Let's read the, the rest of the chapter. Verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except with for these chains. When he had said these things, the, ki the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice, and these who sat and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Festus, in his outlook of life, being a Gentile, being Greek, could not comprehend the promise, the doctrine of the resurrection. It was impossible for him. And so as Paul is on this tirade, kind of going for it, man, he's just hitting them hard. He interrupts him. <laughs> but I love the fact that Paul had already made his, his points. He had already made them. And Festus says, Paul, you are beside yourself. You are out of your mind. You're a raving maniac. You're cuckoo. That's what you are. And in your much learning, in your education, it has driven you mad, crazy, insane. What I find interesting is that he didn't say any of those things when Paul was sharing his testimony of how he was persecuting and killing Christians. That wasn't crazy. You're not insane for doing that. 
but you are crazy for following after Jesus and believing that, that Jesus raised from the dead. You're a lunatic. That's what you are. And, and he almost kind of wants to turn the tables on this guy who is probably the sanest one there, saying, you're a nut. You should be in the loony bin. That's where you should be. <laughs> and Paul, I love the fact he says, I'm not mad, dude. I'm not, I'm not upset, but I'm not crazy, man. I'm not crazy. I speak to you in words of truth and reason. And I love the fact that at this point, he turns his attention back on the king. <laughs> For the king, before whom I speak freely, knows these things. <laughs> because none of this, not the death of Christ, nor the resurrection, nor the beginning of this church, and this sect, and this movement has been done in a corner. It has not escaped the king's life. He knew that. He knew the position of the Herods. They had to know everything that's going on in their, in their realm. So he knew, you know these things. You're schooled, not only in Jewish politics and, and religion, but also what's come out of that. So you know about this whole Christianity, Brostein. You know. Because it's not some esoteric, obscure, cryptic, Secret society. It's been out in the open. And you guys have hated it ever since. Because none of this has been done or declared in secret. It's all been out in the open. It hasn't been done in a corner. And I love the fact that he just throws it out there in verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And I don't know if there was that like little pause. And he says, I know you do. You have to. You cannot deny it. And so he's straightforward with him. And now King Agrippa is the one in the corner. He's kind of backed him in the corner. Dude, you believe the prophets? There might have been a nervous little laugh or tick in King Agrippa's mind going, what the heck? I'm not on trial here. You're the one on trial. It's like, no, you are on trial. You are on trial. The one that wanted to hold the trial is now on trial. And his salvation is hanging in the balance. Because if he says, yes, I accept the prophets. If he would have answered for himself, but for some reason Paul didn't let him answer for himself. He says, I know you do. Then he would have had to admit that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, is the Messiah. He is, Jesus is the hope of the promise and the fulfillment of all that the prophets shared. And he says, bro, you're almost persuading me. The only escape was to ward off, sidestep, and elude the question with a comeback. And this is what King Agrippa does. Because verse 28 almost sounds like he's going, dude, I'm ready to accept Jesus. Just call me forward. I'll, I'll, I'm ready to go. But that's not the way it reads in other translations. He, he's trying to make a joke of it outwardly, but I could guarantee you, I will bet your bottom dollar, not mine, but yours, that inwardly this was no joke for him. 
This is the way it says in other translations, verse 28, in the NIV. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? The New Living Translation, Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And the Amplified puts it like this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You think it a small task to make a Christian of me, just offhanded to to induce me with little ado and persuasion at very short notice. So he kind of fends him off going, bro, it's not going to happen right now. And Paul says in verse 29 in the Amplified, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except with his chains. Paul finishes sharing his testimony. He shows us here, I think oftentimes where we fall short, that we don't throw the question out there, put ourselves out there. Do you believe? In this case, do you believe the prophets? I think we fall short sometimes and we don't throw that last question out there because we're scared of being rejected. And yet we see that even the Apostle Paul was kind of rejected here, right? But it didn't stop him from throwing it out there. You see, the ball was now in Agrippa's court. And even though Agrippa basically laughed it off, Paul said, I would to God, I would to God that you were where I am at today, saved, on my way to heaven. And then it was over. They stood up, they left. Paul did what he was supposed to do. He was faithful. He shared the gospel, he shared this, this, his testimony, and yet no one came forward. Was it something he said? <laughs> Could he have worded it different? Should he have he had the, the worship team come in and start playing, come just as you are? <laughs> just one more time. Guys, all we can do, and I know some people, it's like, Pastor Zeke, you, you did an altar call, nobody came for it. It's like, dude, it's not up to me. What we do is do our best and then we commit to the rest. The Holy Spirit is still good at being the Holy Spirit. I don't care who you are. He is still good at drawing people to himself, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and sin. That's what he's all about. And he continues to do that. And when I say, hey, anybody need Jesus? And nobody raises their hand. I know some of you guys going, oh, poor Pastor Zeke. It's like, dude, I don't save them. It's not up to me. It is the Holy Spirit who does the work. I am not going to like, come on, somebody, just give me a little. Dude, I want all to know what I know. I want everybody to go to heaven with me. But it's people that are walking out the doors when they're driving in their cars. They're going, that's what I need. They don't need me. They need Jesus. (laughs) The Holy Spirit does the work, guys. 
And one last thing, jeez, man, how does that time go fast? Somebody speeds up that clock. Again, I want to mention Bernice really quick, because could it be, is it possible that maybe, just maybe, it was Bernice who kind of held Agrippa, Agrippa back from really going forward? I'm just saying, because sometimes people hold other people back. Don't be that person. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for just allowing us to go through scripture, Father. What a, what a blessing and what a... What an opportunity that we have, Lord, to encourage our brothers and sisters once again, Lord, by opening up your word, by meeting together, Lord God, by having fellowship, Lord, by having church, by having people come aside, drawn out of this world for this moment, for this time. I pray that you go before us, God, that you give us boldness, Lord, not to be afraid. Lord, as we see these examples that you give us in your word, Lord God, that we would not be afraid to throw the question out there, do you believe? And Father, I do pray that if there's anyone in this room, Lord God, who may have come, Lord, and, and maybe everybody else thought that they were a Christian, but they haven't been, Lord, and they've put, been putting everybody on, I pray that today you would touch their hearts. And that today, Lord God, you would do the work that only you can do, and that is save that people will go from darkness to light, that they would go from the works of Satan to the works of God. And I pray that you would do that work in their hearts right now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing the last song. Pastor Gary is already up here.